It was the way he said it. I see the great beyond, and it's beautiful. Hey, this is Unrefined Podcast. Welcome to another episode. Hey, 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 everybody. This is Brandon and Lindsay. Hey, everybody. And we have a very special guest on our podcast today, and I'm going to let her fill in all her deets and everything like that. But uh, I met her a, a few months ago, and I've listened to her podcast, and it's, it's great. I, I highly recommend it. And it's Marie. And Marie, will you tell them a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Marie Betcher. I'm a registered nurse. I've been an RN for 36 years. Almost all of it has been hospital work. I have done a lot of pediatric work, and I have done work in hospice. I have a podcast called Hospice Explained, and that grew out of this desperate feeling when I would arrive at people's homes to introduce hospice. I was what they called an admit nurse, so I kind of was one of the first few people they got to meet. What happened is people were desperate for the information because they never heard it before. Mm -hmm. And so I just had to pour out and pour out and pour out this education. And every time it was the same education and same education. So I kind of thought, what can I do? And so that's where my podcast, it's called Hospice Explained, just literally what it is. And I try to be non-spiritual. I try to have a safe place for folks who just need to learn about hospice so that I can bless people and help them. And that was, that's just the purest way I can think about it. And I have a second podcast that um, is called Hospice Encounters. And that one grew out of, I read a book by John Burke, and it's, um, I don't have it in front of me, but it's um, Near-Death Experiences. We can talk more about that. And in the book, he said, you've got to tell your stories. Mm. And I thought, oh, I've got a lot of stories. And so I started the podcast literally just to start sharing because, you know, you can have a few conversations and in some of the podcasts, I never, I don't think more than three to five people ever heard any of those stories. And so then they just stop right there. So to bless people further, I have two podcasts. And I am a Christian. Let's speak in a spiritual, let's pray. So Marie, will you, will you pray for us before we start the podcast, please? I would love to. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to share you, to be blessed by the opportunity to be in communication with other podcasters and other Christians. So, Lord, I just lift up the Unrefined Podcast and bless Brandon and bless Lindsay and bless Sandy. And thank you so much for how we meet online. What a different way we get to do this nowadays. Lord, we just ask you to come and bless this conversation and be present. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So back back to where we were going. You were you were going to the near death experience, but before we really get there, um, I just want to just just kind of stay with hospice care generally uh, for a few minutes, if that's okay with you. Um, you've you've already talked about how you got involved with it. Uh, what are what do you think are some of the misconceptions of hospice care? Well, uh, if if I were to say. If I were to be standing in line for a cup of coffee at, at a place and somebody, you know, was talking to somebody else about hospice and they would say to each other, oh, that means they're dying. That means they're dead or that means they've only got a couple days. And that is a the first off one I would want to present that hospice is meant for the last six months of life. It happens when two or more physicians agree that you know, given the way things are going, that a patient has a terminal diagnosis, you know, maybe they have cancer, maybe they have a second cancer. It gets a little more complex with certain other diagnoses. So I'm just using cancer as a, diag- you know, as a main right. one. Right. That, that given the way things are going with or without treatment, they likely have six months or less to live. And it's a Medicare benefit. So people, uh, I'm kind of rolling two things in. They think they have to pay for it. Medicare pays for it, and most insurances pay for most of hospice. So it's not something that's paid, you know, you have to pay out of pocket. And it's for the last six months of life. And people think they have to get ready, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever, to go on hospice. No, they help you get ready. So they come on board. You're not ready for your loved one to die, and they help you and your loved one with the preparation. Mm. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense, yep. yeah. So uh, I guess that opens up the, the questions of that uh, I think Lindsay was really interested in is, is what... Yeah, professional boundaries. Yeah, Are yeah. they kind of the same? or Yeah, but you have a little bit more leeway say, with your spirituality, if you wanted to, then you would? Spiritual leeway is, um, mm, this is a hard one, guys. So, so hospice is in, encourages people and staff. So there's many staff. It's not just the nurse. In fact, the nurse is just one piece of the puzzle. They encourage staff. If patients want to reach out and be spiritual, they encourage people to be spiritual, et cetera, with them. But the boundaries are, it has to be what the patient wants. Mm -hmm. You're Mm -hmm. always going to have that boundary and you can't cross that spiritual boundary. It's, it's still a boundary that we have Mm -hmm. to respect. It's no different than if we were at 7-Eleven, we're not going to disrespect somebody's personal boundary, or we're not going to disrespect the store and take something. We're, we're respecting a boundary. Does that that sound too strong? I'm sorry if that sounds too strong. That was was fine. I just kind of on the same note. Uh, I was also just wondering, is it just as far as like professional distance? Is that supposed to be the same for hospice work? Because I mean, obviously, you're trying to help a person who um, is getting close to death. I mean, it, are the professional boundaries any different there? Are you expected to get a little closer to the patient or, or not? It's, you understand what I'm asking? I do. Here. So that's individual. I, I would imagine that's just as individual as any nurse can be. Some nurses you're going to meet 
They're going to do their business and out the door they go. Some mm-hmm. are going to chit chat. Some are going to, you know, so, so you, you know, it's just personality driven in some, in some ways. I personally tend to pour more out than some. Mm. I'm just, it's my nature. I am a, I'm an empathic person. I am very empathic. I really feel, mm-hmm. I really, I feel the angst. I feel the intensity. I feel, I feel their impending loss. Actually, it's very hard on me. Um, mm. Seriously hard That's on me. That's my next question. Uh, Sandy and I, we do a lot of healing prayer and, we deal with a lot of people with traumas. We do stuff with DID and different different things like that. And I, I just can imagine that somebody like you, who is very empathic, you experience trauma when some of these people pass. Is that correct? Yes. I am not currently practicing as a hospice nurse. I have stepped out of the role because it was too much. Mm-hmm. I could not. I actually started crying every day after work. My husband says, wait a minute, what's wrong? Every day I would be crying because I'd walk out of the door of somebody's house and they were so unprepared for the impending death of the loved one or the loved one had nobody to care for them. And it just went on and on. And I, I, my empathic nature and the love that I had for people, it was draining me so hard. I had to go to the supervisors and say, I need to step back. And so I stepped back and did part-time for a while. And then as the podcast kept going on, I just, with my other day job, I just had to pause hospice. And I, I think this is where I need to bless people is through education of it, because I can do it so much so without draining myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can just imagine how traumatic it is. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty empathic in a lot of ways. I'm sure my wife might argue with that, but I mean, I get upset when animals die. So I, I couldn't imagine someone. And right. I just lost a, a, a friend that uh, became a pretty close friend, a, a guy in his seventies, who was like a mentor. I, I would go to pray for his healing. However, I ended up getting ministered more than I was ministering to him just because he's just a, such a great guy. I just watched, he went from one day he was really licking it to like a week later he was dead. And they, the, the mm-hmm. hospice was really quick and, and I, I, I was traumatized and I'm not even the family. And so I can't imagine right. the trauma. And then the, the, he was a very personable guy. Everybody liked him. And I, I just really, I thought about that story that one of your, uh, and one of your podcasts that the nurse tells about the guy, the cowboy, and he's in the wheelchair and it's like he's oh, yeah. fighting death. And then she gives him comfort and he just passes on. I, I just, to get that close, I mean, and, and I also want to mention that she shared the gospel with him because he, he was interested spiritually, which I thought was really cool. But just to get that close to a patient, you know, and then to lose them, I, I can imagine the trauma. That, that you guys must go through. And I don't even know if there's any ministries out there that, that help, you know, other than just general counseling that would help nurses and caregivers that go through this type of trauma. You know, I'm not even sure about that. So I think you just opened up the largest can of worms I've heard in years. Yeah. Um, I want to say something to the, the spiritual piece. I want to come back to that. 
So if a patient gives you the opening and you are, so if, if we can start with what if somebody was a Buddhist and the nurse was Buddhist, well, of course, then they can speak, right? The patient gives permission right. and the family may give permission. So I've had permission, you know, if somebody gives, but I, you can't pressure for the permission. You know what I yes. mean? So when I would admit people, I would say, do you have a spiritual preference? I might get Christian, I might get no belief, I might get, and you know, and then and sometimes, depending on the situation, you know, when I was leaving, I might say, would you, they were Christian, and I felt like we had a belief system that was similar, I might offer a prayer. What I'd like to ask you now, Marie, is uh, we were talking about the spiritual aspect of this. So what really got you into the supernatural? I met you. I oh, met you boy. on Blurry Creatures, so obviously you've been red pilled to the supernatural. So, what really got you into the, the supernatural? I'm going to have to start go way back. Um, I believe this is you. You asked me two questions online when we were doing our, you know, what we're going to talk about: ghosts and supernatural. So we'll we're going to kind of blend those two answers together. Okay. So I grew up. Uh, my parents had four kids. They always said they had four kids and Marie because they were 44 and 47 when I was born oh, in the 60s. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were the 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 kids they had were 21, 18, 16 and 14. And so when I came along, literally everybody was out of the house by the time I even remember, you know. So the house was it was a two story house. My dad had opened up the attic uh, put stairs into it, and he used one bedroom, opened it up, and made that a you know hallway stairway, and so there was two bedrooms upstairs. Okay, this one it's kind of bringing me back to this this moment. So, this this house had a lot of creaks and groans, as many houses do, mm -hmm. but there was a presence in this house, and it wasn't. So when you say, "Do you believe in a ghost?" Do I believe it's a person? No, 100% no. I do not believe it was a person. I believe it was an evil presence that gained, gained from my fear. That's, that's mm -hmm. the best way I can say it. We had in one of the two bedrooms, there was a literal half-size door. It was like a four-foot door because the ceilings, you know, were slanted for the roof. And dad had made that so you could get into the attic without crawling up a little flight of stairs. You know, you could just walk in the bedroom and open this short door and you could step through the door and then stand up straight. That door had a sideways handle, not a knob that you turn like a round one, but at, you know, the sideways. And that thing, when I'd be upstairs playing in my room, they, it would rattle and rattle periodically. And sometimes it would just open. And I can remember, I'm getting sh shivers just talking about it. It was... I, <laughs> I remember running down the stairs so fast and running into the kitchen and my mom's like, you are white. And I thought, you better believe I'm white. That door opened while I was playing with my Barbies. And, um, it was, it was, it would, it would always be like somebody was walking up the stairs, like creak, 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 you know, and I could always tell if mom and dad were coming up the stairs, it would creak and it had these creaks. And so you'd always think something's going to walk in the door when I was sleeping, you know, laying in bed at night. I never was happier when I went to the other bedroom. So they, I went to the other bedroom and it was much more peaceful. It was real interesting, um, the front of the house. In that bedroom, I had an experience. So 
Fast forward a few years to when I was a teenager, I grew up in a Lutheran church. It was Missouri Synod, if anybody knows we those. We know those, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, real real good. Yeah, it, w- it was a good basic church. I don't know how they are. I don't know how they are anymore. I think they're kind of off the reservation now, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm in some contact with uh, my best friend's sister who still goes to the one I grew up in, but it's it's a very small church now. Yeah. But so this church, um, when I was in high school, had what they call a vicar. So that was mm-hmm. a seminary student would come out and do a year of, you know, teaching, practice teaching, mm-hmm. right? He did. So this is where I got more introduced to the supernatural, even though I already believed in it, because obviously I'd already had experiences as I was sharing. He started teaching about backtracking and music. Mm. Let us hear some Led Zeppelin, mm. how they were saying, you know, praise, you know who, but not the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think anybody believed it, but I did. You know, out of the 10 people in the group, I was probably the one. And this this pastor, uh, Vicar, he talked about, you know, people. And I don't know how deep you want me to go into this, guys, but... um. He he just he opened my eyes to things, right? Yeah. So so fast forward, you know, a few weeks later, Stairway to Heaven. I'm doing my homework at night, listening to the radio, and Stairway to Heaven came on. I was like, oh, I like that song, and I was feeling rebellious. Obviously, I went and turned it up. My confirmation cross. So we had I had this um, metal wood cross leaned against a. Oh, it was on something that was more of like a plastic top um, hamper. And leaned against the wall. It got picked up and slammed down. Wow. To the point where my whole body was like on point. And I looked around and it was laying on the the hamper. And the noise, you know, was outstandingly loud. And then I, my three girlfriends, I remember having them all over. And we were standing in my room. And one's like, well, it just fell. It just fell. It just, you know, they could not fathom that either... Positive or negative energy. So my guardian angel or the evil one <laughs> angel of some sort, you know what I mean? I kind of look back and I think my my guardian angel is like, knock it off, Marie. I really think they were like, come on, Marie, it's time to think about this. And you know what? It changed me from there. I stopped listening to the music that this pastor had taught me, you know, of the absolute ones we knew at the time. Now you're talking um 7980. We're not talking when there's no internet, there you know, there is so limited information out. So, I did my best to start, you know, changing. Hey my unrefined friends. I just want to tell you guys that I am so thankful that you are my life. Some of our best fans uh, have been writing to us and and I I just so encouraged about how Lives are being transformed and people are getting something out of this podcast. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this is to glorify Jesus and to just look at the world and have a a more open view of the seen and the unseen and the supernatural in the world. So while we're doing that, we're going to handle all different kinds of topics. But see, what I'd like for you to be involved in or part of is our members only group things that are coming in our members only group that are going to just blow your mind. Not to mention there's going to be episodes in there that you won't be able to hear just on the normal episode channel. So make sure to visit our website at unrefinedpodcast.com 
and check out our members only community. I just can't stress the fact that, you know, we're after building a community and there's, there's so much out there, you guys, and there's so much coming, I really believe. We need to build these strong communities of Christ followers to, to be able to handle what might be coming in the, in the future days. We're sure that you'd be a good fit, and we cannot wait. I can't wait to see you there. So let's let's dive into the deep the deep thing that I really want to to hear about different stories and your involvement with this is uh, the near death experiences. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it, what well, what uh, about the portal yeah. story first? Then go with that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So when I was working full time hospice, I had a visit with a patient on one day. It was probably I'm pretty sure it was a weekend. And so I would, if I would have two admits for the day and, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but they can be far apart driving. So drive time, there's paperwork. And I never, I never hardly did an admit in under an hour. I mean, some people do them really fast. I would be an hour and a half minimum. I've just spent a lot of time. So my admits needed a lot of time, but they would add another visit. For example, a hospital visit, we'd see the patients every day. So they added me a hospital visit. So I went to the hospital and happened to meet this lovely family. And the patient was completely in a comatose, meaning they were not talking. They were just apparently sleeping. You know, mm -hmm. we do believe they hear. I 100% believe they yeah, hear. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. Yep. But so the patient's not talking. They're just breathing slow, calmly. I, they weren't even making, you know, some of the all sorts of rattly noises and things yet, but, and her family was there and somehow, some way they started talking about her, her personal belief system. So I knew she was a Christian and, you know, had a lovely visit with these people. And the next day I had to go back and see this patient again before a very busy day. And so I said to myself, go ahead and see them first because the, Sometimes they may not last a day, and I want to make sure the nurses at the hospital feel, because the nurses at the hospital need, need our support as much as the patients and the families. We are supporting everybody. You know, if the nurse says, do I need to give them more medicine, we can guide them as hospice and staff. We guide them into more medicine to comfort them as far as pain, shortness of breath. You know, these, these medications can really help ease symptoms. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to go see this patient first. So I, I go in the room and the room is, um, cause it's real early. I think I even went, I don't remember. It's, it's probably winter, you know, cause I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So it, you know, it's not like full sun had hit this area. It was easily just eight o'clock or right after the windows, dry, shades were drawn, no families in the room, the patients declining. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if she's got much longer. So I just, um, you know, did my simple assessment and you'll say to the patient, you know, I'm going to take your pulse. I'm just going to put my stethoscope on your chest or something. You know, you just very lightly touch the patient gently, but you tell them you're there. You don't just start doing things. Right. And so then I thought, you know, as I'm about ready to leave, I thought, well, she was a Christian. I'm, I'm just going to say a little prayer for her and prayed for her blessing and peaceful passing, you know, simple things. Mm -hmm. 
And so then when I turned to walk out of the room, so this is a double hospital room, the lights, actually, I don't even think I had turned on a light. I had enough light through the window, which with shades kind of drawn. And so, you know, you don't need to see a lot. I mean, I can see well, but the light is limited, but it's not bright. It's not dark. Okay. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So I'm walking. So I walk to the end of the bed and your eyes catch something. And I I can only say your eyes catch something because you're like, okay, what, you know, I'm in deep thought, thinking about the rest of my day, thinking about finding this patient's nurse that she's, she's close thinking about the fact that I really just want to sit down and hold her hand and be with her Mm -hmm. and thinking about, I have a nine o'clock appointment across town. And if I don't go, I won't, you know, the patient is, that is still there. It's, it's just, it's so many things cross your mind and you just do the best you can. And, um, I see. So here's an interesting way to say it. So the water effect from Stargate, I, Saw the movie Stargate when it originally came out. Didn't watch any of the TV shows. I'm kind of a little crazy about Star Trek. And everybody was shocked. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to own this. I just love science fiction. I'm going to own that I love science fiction. And a lot of people would say, Marie, I can't believe you've never watched Stargate. It's the occult part of it you don't like. Yes. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So... So, so then, so to make the, the effect when to go backwards in time, I'll tell you that uh, like a couple years later, I started watching Stargate and I don't even think I realized it till season, you know, I've already watched a couple seasons when that water effect and that cloud and that water, I was like, that's what I saw at the end of this woman's bed. Mm. But it Ooh. wasn't now, was it as thick as, um, was it as thick as the TV show? No, no. I could still see like a folded up wheelchair. I could see the wall, but I could see that there's something beyond it. I can't, I don't know that I walked. So technically I probably walked through it because what I didn't notice it until I walked to the other side of the bed. And the whole time I'm like, what is going on? You know, in your mind, you're thinking about 17 things. But yet your brain is going, hey, something's there you need to look at. And I just stopped at the other end of the other bed, and I'm just looking, and I'm like, what? What am I looking at? When we're faced with supernatural, our brains don't quite absorb it the same. Because my brain was going, this is not right, because you're used to seeing a wall, you're used to seeing a picture on the wall, and you're not used to seeing the depth. And it was like everything was cloudy, but not cloudy. It's like I could see the air. That's a good way to put it. Like mm. the air had billows. Um, and the water effect. And so I remember leaving the room. And I walked back in. And I think I, I saw it like again. But now you're like, part of me is like, am I going to see an angel walk out? Or am I going to see this person's spirit? And I remember at the time going, I could stand here for hours, but the practical side of me says, you got to go. You know, I had to chart, mm-hmm. I had to tell the patient's nurse and, um, the patient ended up dying probably real shortly thereafter. She, when I had assessed her, I would have guessed she had an hour to four hours, you know, but I think praying for her, 
maybe just helped open the gate. What about that? Oh, yeah. Well, well. Oh, I've never said that out loud. But well, but people oftentimes think that portals and gates are always negative. And, and I'm probably about to get myself in trouble for what I'm about to say. But I don't care. I'm unrefined. Anyway, I think portals and gates can be both a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, we obviously have it in Genesis with Jacob when he when he lays his head on a stone and he sees angels ascending and descending. That's a portal. So Absolutely. Why, why could we not... At God's discretion, I will add, a portal be opened by prayer. I'm not saying go and let's let's go open portals everywhere or anything like that, but yeah. it's it's kind of how I feel about angels. A lot of people, it really kind of irritates me in the body of Christ, uh, particularly in certain branches. They they order angels around like they're they're henchmen or whatever, and I don't think that's right. I, if if I want to dispatch angels to do something, I ask the Lord, will you will you if it's your will, or if you want to, will you send an angel here to help this, you know, stuff like that. Right. So that's asking prayer. I agree. So that's how I would view the portal thing, but I would never, ever, especially knowing what we all know now say, no, a Christian cannot open a portal and it's only witches and witchcraft. Uh, So we might get in trouble for saying that, but I don't care anyway. So yeah, I think that's probably exactly what happened. You, you prayed for her and you witnessed, you know, with your physical and spiritual eyes, the opening of uh, what a lot of people I th- I've heard in near death or in in death experiences see, and everybody else doesn't see. Like the story you were talking about in your podcast about the cat that was in the room that was on uh, jumped on the bed that had been there, and she saw it, but but she didn't. Uh, but you didn't see it, I think, or was that one of your guests? I can't remember. One of my guests, yeah. but similar, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I definitely think that's probably what happened, Marie. I really do. I do too. I I think that was perfect that I said it out loud because, and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So why can't we as Christians do that, right? When we pray for right. somebody to help them along. Well, and, and I take the sacraments very seriously. It, it comes from being an Anglican priest. And I even think that portals are open when we bless the the wine and bread. I think portals could be open when we do baptism. I mean, you know, sure. there could be all such. Now, this is just my shade tree theology is what I call it. But we don't know. You know, we don't know. And some people who are who can see in the spirit can see things like that. And usually empathic people like you. And, and some people can't. So I don't want to come down, you know, with a, a swift, hard rule. I mean. The enemy is is not an inventor. He is not an originator. He only copies what is available in God's kingdom. And so when I agree. So when he's using stuff, there's got to be out there a positive version of it that is available to the the, the sons of God, the kingdom of God, us. I 100% agree. Yeah. So let's talk near death experiences. Just just put it on us. Okay, so so in my Hospice encounters, I will tell you, my first major encounter with somebody dying, because my parents were older, I'd had multiple experiences. My mom went to every funeral. Mm. My mom took me to all the funerals because, of course, she had nobody to keep me because everybody was out of the house. So she took me all the time. And so I didn't have any major, you know, as a child growing up, any major, major things that I had heard or saw. But I remember thinking when my mom died, my mom was a lovely Christian woman. 
beloved by many people. I remember thinking something special is going to happen when mom dies. So interestingly enough, my mom, I had been a nurse for eight years, but in my trailer for Hospice Explained, my, my explanation is that as a medical person, we are trained to help people stay alive. So I really wasn't trained how to help her die well, you know, peacefully and, and with as least pain as we could. So my sisters and I, my two sisters are both nurses. I have two brothers and two sisters. The brothers are not medical. And both are now in heaven, and I can talk about them a little bit. Um, but my sisters and I, we just anguished how to do this, how to do this. And we got some help, and then it got easier. So it was a long, long season. Mm -hmm. And when my mom died the night before, we were all like, I don't know when she's going to die. I don't know when she's going to die. We called her sister, and her sister said, you know, tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of Big Mama's death, meaning that my mom's mom died 40 years ago to the day, the you know, for the following. So we all looked at each other, and that was when the Lord told us, Mom's going to die tomorrow. And she did. She died 8.30 in the morning. Interesting. I thought I was going to see angels. I was like, I want to be there. I want to, you know, nothing. It was just peaceful, quiet, and she died. And so then I'm thinking, wait a minute. I, I want, you know, I really want to, experience more supernatural, but you have to be careful, right? right. You guys yeah. seeking this yeah. is, it's not necessarily appropriate to be seeking it as much as praying about it and asking the Lord to reveal things. Right. So fast forward 10 years, my dad's dying. So he's in my home. We had family all around. We knew his time was getting real close, you know, within the next few days. And it was his, the day I, the night before he had what's called terminal agitation. And I really explained that in hospice explained. And so I had got a hospital bed and he took all day. He finally got in the bed because he knew he's never getting out of the bed. This was just things people know. Mm -hmm. So dad's laying in the bed that afternoon, evening. And he says, I see the great beyond. Mm. And I was like, my, my son, who was about 15 at the time, I looked at him and I said, turn off the lights, Daniel, because we had four lights, you know, the can lights in the ceiling. And my dad was literally stationed in the center of them. I said, turn off the lights. And I said, Dad, what do you see? He says, I see the great beyond. And it's beautiful. Wow. And there's this moment and you're just like, wow. Just, that's all I got from that one. But it was enough, you know? I knew Dad, you know, he's, it was peaceful, and then he died a day and a half later. It wasn't, he died just as, you know, in a process, but it was so sweet to me that, you know, he saw. But he, he didn't describe it. He didn't say, I see galaxies. I, he didn't say anything specific, but he said, it was the way he said it. Mm. I see the great beyond. And then yeah. it's, and it's beautiful. I, I can't even give it the oomph that dad gave that. Wow. That gives me chills. Um, oh, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was like, yeah, and then powerful. I knew I wanted to work in hospice, you know, and so then it was years before I ended up, ended up starting to work hospice. I can tell you, uh, one of my episodes, I talk about my brother. Now, he was... My brother had a lot of medical issues, and his last few days ended up being in the hospital. He saw my niece witnessed it, and I got her to do a you know couple minute testimony on hospice encounters. 
he saw a choir of angels. And all he could do was he was wiggling his fingers. And he says, and she says, what are you doing, daddy? And he's like, basically, he was directing the choir. Mm. They were all singing. Mm. That's amazing. It was amazing. I wasn't there for that, but I, I'm all about, um, telling it. I mean, I can tell you, um, I, I mean, all of my stories, my, one of my cousins is on and she talks about her brother who died young. I think he was in his thirties. He died pretty young. He had juvenile diabetes and, you know, you got to think he was probably born in the late fifties, early, I think he was born in the late, in the mid fifties. And so he had juvenile diabetes and they just didn't treat it as well as they do now. And he died. But my cousin talks about seeing her brother who died when he was younger and said, John, I'm so sorry you died. And it was like in a dream, she said. And he's like, it's okay. I'm with Jesus. And she had this, the most peace that anybody could have. She said, she goes, I'd never had peace. And then, you know, now she had peace that her brother who died early, he wasn't sad about it. You know, the rest of us were sad, but he was happy. Yeah. We know the uh, ancient Celts, uh, well, no, I wouldn't say the ancient Celts, but the Celts that became Christians afterwards, they, they had, there's a, there's a whole theology. There's actually a really interesting book out there called Thin Spaces. And they had this belief, which came from their pagan days, but it still, they brought it forward into Christianity, which was, you know, happened a lot back then. But not all of it's bad. Anyway, so they they believed that there were, there were thin spaces in different areas and places, which what we would call portals, where basically the spirit world and the physical world were intertwined, probably exactly how Eden was when in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Up on, up on the mountain. And I wonder if those thin spaces open up when people are getting ready to pass through mm-hmm. to the other side. Uh, anyway, that, I was, that just fascinates me. I 100% think you're correct. I think how else are we going to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Something's got to, you know, yeah. the spirit has to pass. And so you think about hospitals and where I saw the you know, the wormhole stargate, you know, yeah. the, the tunnel, yeah. like everybody sees the tunnel. Maybe that was the tunnel. Um, they're, they're opening and closing a lot because these hospitals have births and deaths and, you know, mm-hmm. things are happening all day long in all parts of the hospital. So I agree. I think there's thin places and especially with repetitive things happening. Yeah. Repetitive trauma. I mean, yeah. And I don't, yeah, no, not trauma, just repetitive situations. We, we wouldn't necessarily, you know, you guys want any other stories I have? Yeah, actually, um, Maria, do you have any stories of, from your patients that have passed and then came back and then later died or anything like that and saw things? Do you have any stories? I actually have an upcoming episode. I just reached out to somebody and so I haven't even got the full story. I just found this person on, um, it was a way to find a podcast guest, and she has a book. I do not have a personal story of anybody that's gone and come back. Although I will tell you, I know somebody who was transported up to the throne room. I will leave off who it was, okay. but somebody has shared with me that I believe this person was in prayer. 
and in one moment, and just like the Apostle Paul, the next moment she was up in heaven. Wow. This person ended up in the throne room of the Lord, and I, you know, you kind of want to go back and go, wait, what do I remember from this? But um, I think when they told me about it, it was just like this awe and moment where you just kind of like, I would just want to absorb the fact that you were in the presence of the Lord. Boom. Mm. And then as they came down, they saw, she saw lights and she was like, what is that? And it was like home churches and, and churches and things like that and believers. And it was, it was just some part of the ministry that this person was to be doing. Mm. Yeah. I, I want to uh, ask this question and then we can end on a story of hope. And this is something earlier that I really wanted to get to is, uh, can you give us uh, some contrast stories of, of people who, what we would call die well, and then people who don't, do you, do you understand the context of what I'm, what I mean by that? Yes. Okay. I would say that if I were to look at a hundred patients dying, that those that had close relationships that they were able to, you know, come to that place where, you know, I don't want to say, um, they came to a peaceful, you know, place, you know, resolutions of, you know, maybe long, long fights or, you know, families that had issues that were able to come and, you know, resolve differences Yeah, that really helped folks. Yeah. I really believe that people that, you know, really had, so it's interesting, some spiritual folks, some folks that are solid Christians, I think still had some fears. Mm-hmm. And didn't necessarily die easier than others. I think it really depends on an individual's faith journey. Yeah, yeah. I think the most important thing is, uh, it's really you know dissolving those differences. Well, let let me let me jump in here. This is really interesting that you're talking about this. Uh, we have a little we call it an epi show that we do where we take movies and we analyze different movies. We've done Lost Boys and we've done crossroads we've done dark city and the the one we just did for this last month was flatliners and that's a sci-fi movie you might remember you might have seen but yes i do remember that one it fascinated me because even though it was it was dark and it was it was very predictive programming it still had a positive ending in the sense of uh they went back and and resolved issues with these people after they had their near death their their near death experience and that's when you when i when i'm hearing you talk about this that's what i'm hearing i'm thinking about that that you know they went back and made like the the uh, Keith or Sutherland character had to go back and make peace with the little boy that he killed basically or was part of his death and anyway i i've just um uh, i just can totally see that that's people's way of of getting to that place of peace to pass on, and um, and that people that are like I guess the the curmudgeon or something like that old man that's you know uh, wouldn't die very well if they had a lot of baggage so to speak. Is that a fair right. fair assumption? I think that would be what I would take out of it. You know, peace with people, peace with God. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Love God, love people, you know, and to be at peace with all people when you're nearing that place, that it's that that would be 
Now, is that the only answer? No, because, right. you know, let's face it, people die of all different reasons. Some of the suffering that happens at end of life, we try to really alleviate suffering, but some of it mimics what Jesus did for us. He suffered mm, when he died. That's really profound. It is profound, and I've never said it. Well, that reminds me of a story Sandy and I read years ago about a doctor who basically, and you can probably say something to this with your medical training, a doctor who basically said that a lot of people at the end of life um, will begin to enter into pneumonia, and we, in all our advanced medicine, we actually stop it, and then their body is forced to die in a harder way instead of just the simple way of pneumonia, of just, you know, breathing and just passing away. What do you think about that? Have you ever heard anything like that? 100% I have heard this repeatedly said by older physicians that pneumonia is an old person's, old man, old woman's best friend Mm -hmm. because it's simpler and easier and peaceful and... You know, it doesn't always sound peaceful, and sometimes uh, the noises people make as they're dying is kind of hard. Yeah, I mean, it's, I even find I find it hard, and I'm a I'm a nurse, yeah. but um, it it is. It, they say that if you hear somebody say that that's an old person's best friend, is it's well, think about all the other ways you can go, and it's you know, it's not months of suffering with a cancer. It, yeah, no, but I hundred percent have seen that in several books. I have heard it said i think it's realistic um it doesn't always sound good because we don't want to think about that not hardly any of us really want to think that far forward into our future and the later years but yes well yeah and and, and until you you run into the place of kind of sort of playing god i mean a person who's 55 gets pneumonia i mean obviously you're going to want to treat that i mean unless there absolutely unless there's possibly another cause of death that could be they might have ALS and they're they're dying then they get pneumonia you know there could be a case saying we'll just let the pneumonia do its course you know I I don't know I mean it it just it's really one of those gray areas that I talk about in our podcast I used to be very black and white Marie it's just how I'm wired but when I've entered into this realm of supernatural and just and just beginning to love people and have mercy and, and grace for people I realize that God is black and white and he sees everything black and white but we don't and and i think that's yes. just, that's just one of those black and white areas end of life things and i, I do think it's interesting that 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 is an area that's under attack by the enemy as well is before life you know with abortion and then after life uh you know with with euthanasia and and but also even this this issue uh people will they want to hang on to their loved one when they need to go gently into that good night just for their own sakes, for their yeah. own selfishness. I have a story that really relates to that. Um, one of my brothers died in 2020, and I have I had a small dog, seven-pound dog, and I didn't recognize, my brother didn't live, I think he lived like an hour and 15 minutes from my house, and because I had hospice experience, I was driving up there several times a week for periodically just to see him or to share my experience with his family. And then simultaneously, my husband had an aunt, a dear aunt, the one who introduced us. And she was dying too at the same time. So 
what ended up happening is Mike's, my husband's aunt died, my brother died, and my husband and I took a couple-day trip, and my daughter said, you know what, honey's not doing well. And I was like, wait a minute, I knew she wasn't well, but what do you mean she's not well? And, you know, my dog just took a turn for the worse while we took a couple days off. She, she and I were very close, and so, you know, I wasn't home for a few days, and it was only like three days. And I got home, and I was like, oh, no. I just, you know, took one look at her and like, she, she had gone downhill. Like, you know, she got on the sled and hit the, hit it at a hundred miles an hour. Mm. And I took her to the vet that day that, you know, we had got home at like, you know, really like super late. So I got up the next morning and kind of watched her and she, she needed to go to the vet pronto. So I took her to an emergency vet. I had to sit in the vehicle because this is September of 2020, Uh, you know, you can't go inside anywhere. They came out to the car and took her, and then they called me and said, you know, this is this is it, and, you know, what do you want to do? And it's like, oh, great, so I have to make this decision. And I said out loud, I said, well, you know what? Um, she had likely a blood cancer from the tests they had done, but they would have done more tests to really zero in on it. The doctor said, we can treat this. It'll cost, you know, $5,000 a year for three years. And 50% of the dogs do fine and go on to live great lives. And Honey was eight years old. And I thought, I just couldn't put her through that. Um, So I had to make that decision. And I said, can I have her for a day? I Even that emotional self, I needed, I wanted one more day with her. And they said, it's better because the IV's in. It'll be easier on her. So then I had to make that decision at the moment. So I called um, my husband and my daughter were actually doing something nearby. I said, can you stop what you're doing and come, come? And they let me and my husband and daughter go inside. You know, they broke all the rules to let me have a visitor with my dog. And so then we had to say goodbye to her. Mm. And I had to decide that because I couldn't, I couldn't make her keep suffering for me. And that was, it's so hard not to be selfish. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. I, I do want to end on a note of hope and, and, and you can tell me if you've already shared this, but I want to know what is the most supernatural thing that you've seen, uh, like since you've been a Christian or, or just any, anything, but primarily since you've been a Christian, what's the most supernatural thing you've seen? Okay. I have, I have two sh- Two, one's a little longer story and one's shorter. Okay. The first one happened uh, when I was 17, but I'm going to tell you the second one first. I was working night shift. I'd work 12-hour night shifts. Sometimes I'd come home and have, you know, your night shifts were so busy. And this was in the hospital. I was a hospital supervisor. I was I could be running all night. So 12 hours of, of going, 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 and coming home. And sometimes I'd just sit in the bathtub. One, one morning... You know, my husband went to work, kids are, I think I had one kid still in the house and had gone to school. So I'm alone at home, getting ready, you know, just couldn't unwind, got up and took a bath. And I, I had taken some Benadryl, you know, so I could unwind and I fell asleep and I was falling forward. Now, I don't know if I was going to hit my head on something or what, but I probably would have been injured and a, and a hand stop me from falling forward. Wow. And I woke up 
because I was asleep and had fallen. I was starting to fall for, you know how you close your eyes, fall forward. Mm -hmm. So I felt this hand and I'm like, there's nobody in the room. Oh, wow. I am alone in my bathroom. And so I'm like, okay, well, thank you, Lord, for waking me up and sending, sending help. And I got up and went to sleep and I probably took a little bit to go to sleep. So I'm reasonably sure it's my guardian angel. Hmm. Now, when I, so the most supernatural experiences, when I was a teenager, I was visiting, I believe, uh, a boyfriend at the time. And I went home probably about midnight. You know, I didn't have to work the next day or didn't have school the next day or something. I believe it would have been a weekend, but, um, so I'm driving home in my mom's Ford Fairmont. So we're talking a four door, six cylinder, nothing, you know, we're not talking a fast car or anything like that. I give that to give the, to give the impression, you know, it's just a, a mom car. It's a tank. And, <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember them. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and so somebody started tailgating me about 10 minutes after I left this person's house, somebody's tailgating me. And this moment where you're, you're kind of like, wait a minute, they're tailgating me and I can't see their lights. You know, I only saw their lights periodically because they would move sideways because they were following me. And I started going around a corner to get on the freeway. They tailgated me so close that if I would have slowed down, of course, they would have hit me. And they passed me on, the, on a corner on an on-ramp of a freeway. And I did something that I don't ever do again. And I, I pointed them the way to heaven with my middle finger. <laughs> and this enraged this person was a man. And I'm going to tell you, I lived in, this was near SeaTac Airport area. In fact, um, probably literally the freeway is the one that goes around the backside of the airport. And uh, this person, there was a serial killer in this season uh, around this area. Do I think about these things? No. Am I sure that that was this person? No, I'm not. I'm not claiming this, but it's possible. So this person harassed me down the freeway and I, I thought, oh, I'm going to be smart and turn off right after the, the on-ramp. Well, he, he rode, rode the gravel and chased me, and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm in a six-cylinder car. I, I asked the Lord to forgive me. I remember it very specifically. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. What have I done? Please cover me, protect me, you know, those, those arrow prayers. Ended up at a light, and, you know, I only told a couple people, and they're like, you should have just ran the light and gone, you know, and it's like, in a six-cylinder Ford Fairmont, I was no match for anybody that wanted to chase me. So I stopped at the light. I locked my doors. I know I probably had my passenger door, you know, unlocked and because you had to physically push the lock down. And this person came up to the side of the car and started just losing it, screaming at me. And, sh you know, shortly into this, I mean, he didn't do this for very long. He stops and he looks at my passenger seat. And I'm looking at him. I'm looking at my passenger seat. There's nobody in my passenger seat. He stops talking and his eyes glaze over and he's staring at my passenger seat. I turned my head from him to the passenger seat, you know, 15 times. And I'm like, 
is he talking to somebody? What What's going on? You know, this man was, I mean, he had pushed up the car, like shook the car and just, just, he was freaking out. And he turned, he says, don't flip people off and walked away and just left and was going to get back in his car. And I screamed, I obviously got brave and I screamed, well, don't tailgate people. Now I won't scream that into the microphone. And he came marching back up to ready to have another fit with me. And I'm like, oh, Marie, what have you done? He looked at my passenger seat, looked at me and turned around and drove off, you know, got back in his car and left. And I was just, I sat there just shaking and I thanked the Lord. And I'm like, okay, now I know 100% that I was protected. No. I only told a couple people, you know, at the time I t- might've told a couple friends and, you know, they always, you know, you, you should have done, done this and done that. It's like, you know, when you're faced with a, a massive fear event, you don't always think like the movies, you know, I'm not going to drive through town in a Ford Fairmont, a white one. It's like glowing white. How, how hard not to see me. And, and it was, and I, and I don't think I mentioned this was like, like midnight. I don't know if I said that, but so it's late and, you know, 40 years ago, there's nobody on the road. This was empty roads back then. So I, I just didn't feel like I had this place to run and hide and the Lord just had to cover me. Wow. That's an amazing yeah, story. It's pretty wild. It's yeah, an amazing story. And then I just read that book by John Burke and it says, tell your stories. And so I'm like, maybe it's time to tell my angel in the passenger seat story that, and it's not a long story, but it, but it's very prominent that it, you know, it reminds me, you know, that, that he's out there and he's, he's covering us. Yeah. The, the unseen is closer than we think. I mean, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's, that's part of our focus of our podcast is to, show people that not only is there bad stuff at hand but there's also help a present help in a time of need at hand as well well we're going to end our podcast on that marie thank you so much for being on our show yeah. it's been awesome and actually i can't wait to drop this one this is going to be super so thank you so much thank you yeah. thank you brandon and thank you Lindsay. i appreciate the opportunity to share Thanks for listening and supporting us. And remember, stay naturally supernatural.